Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is all of it from WNYC. I'm Allison Stewart, and today we're excited to launch the second edition of the Public Song Project. And once again, it's a chance for you to hear your musical stylings on WNYC. We launched the Public Song Project in 2023 by inviting anyone 18 or older to send us an original recording of a song based on work in the public domain. And we got some great ones, like this version of The Best Things in Life are Free by Alan and Alita Kafinski. The Song Project is back, and this time you'll get a chance to have your work featured online and on air alongside not just your fellow listeners, but also musicians like Rhiannon Giddens, who's on the new Beyonce, by the way, Bella Fleck, Arturo O'Farrell, Valerie June, and many more friends of the station. To help explain and launch this year's Public Song Project, I'm joined by All of It producer behind the project, Simon Close. Hi, Simon. Hey, Allison. So can you remind everybody how the PSP works? Pro- yes. Public Song Project. The Public Song Project, the PSP. Um, <laughs> so we're inviting anybody 18 or older to uh, pick a song, a film, a book, poetry, whatever, something in the public domain. Um, they make a recording out of it, some kind of musical recording. Um, they send it in to us, and then a select few will be played on our air and get to be interviewed. Now, it's around the 1920s. Why the 20s? What's different about this year? This year, we're doing it a little different. It's the 1920s. Uh, the first, where we're asking people to focus on work from the 1920s. Uh, first reason, a century is a nice round number. <laughs> that felt good. Um, the 1920s are also just in themselves a really interesting decade musically. A lot of uh, musical innovations technologically and new styles of music were emerging at that period. Um, also, it just so happens that 1924 is WNYC's, was the year that WNYC first started broadcasting, ah. so that felt like a nice thing to commemorate. So we're talking about people are taking songs from the public domain from the 1920s. Um, who can submit? Anybody 18 or older can submit. Uh, you don't need to be a professional musician to do it. Um, you can just be someone who likes to listen and <laughs> hum a tune, even. So what happens after someone sends in their submission? After they send in the submission, it'll go uh, through a process with our esteemed judges, which includes some familiar names from last year, like Paul Cavalcante, John Schaefer, Laura Downs, who you heard earlier, Shanta Thake from Lincoln Center, um, and some more people that we'll be announcing later on. And 
Um, they'll pick some of their favorites, and uh, then all the songs that we receive, uh, the qualifying songs will get to be put on our website. So if you send in a song, you'll get some shine, um, but <laughs> our favorites will get to be on the air. And how long are submissions open? Uh, we are holding the submissions open through May. And how can people find out more? We are in the process of updating the website. Oh. So uh, wnyc.org slash public song project. Throughout this week, we'll be updating it with more info and sharing the songs like uh, Arturo Farrell's song that you're about to hear after I finish speaking. Um, <laughs> so check back to that website, wnyc.org slash public song project throughout this week for and more we'll, info. And we'll put some stuff on Instagram as well. We'll put some stuff on Instagram, yeah. All right. That's Simon Close. All of it and Public Song Project producer. Thank you, Simon. Thank this you, This is Allison. where you, you exit quietly as I <laughs> make a segue to our next guest. <laughs> to kick off the Public Song Project 2024, all this week we will debut songs sent in to us by friends of WNYC. And your songs get end up alongside them if you submit. Each day you'll hear from one of the artists about their song, why they chose it, how they approached it. And then you'll get to listen to the song as well. To get things started, I'm joined now by a very good friend of WNYC, the pianist and band leader of the Afro-Latin Jazz Orchestra, Arturo O'Farrell. Arturo, thank you for being with us. Are you kidding me? I wouldn't miss this party <laughs> for the world. <laughs> this what? is the best party in town. What is it about this project that interests you? Well, it, Centennial is a really, is like it was mentioned, is a very good round number. Plus, we just got out of the Centennial of Chico O'Farrell, my father. Mm. We're celebrating Tito Puente's Centennial. We're celebrating the Centennial of WNYC. It's the 125th anniversary of Duke Ellington. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a good opportunity to look at works in the public domain and why the public domain is such an important and fertile ground for learning about our history, our culture, where we're going, where we've been, where hopefully we won't go in the future. Mm -hmm. um, lessons from the past are always incredibly important. And so I'm hoping that everybody who is listening will think about the past, what it was like, where we're headed, and what we can do to continue to be on a path that's uh, that's uh, uh, progressive and visionary. Arturo, where are you? I hear music. I'm so sorry. What's going on? <laughs> That's hilarious. I'm in the practice practice room 528 of the new school of the Manus <laughs> New School of Jazz and Contemporary. I'm a professor here, and uh, and yeah, there's all kinds of people. Have you ever been in a, in, a, in a conservatory and there's like 59 yep, pianos yes. going on? It's the best feeling. I always <laughs> feel like it, the air is so electric. It's so pregnant with possibility. The young people are practicing all around me, and I feel their energy. I'm so happy. <laughs> I love it. I just like, where is he? It sounds like he's in some special piano heaven. Um, you want to hear something really funny? The, the, the room right next to me is has my student in it. <laughs> I'm just grooving heavily on their work. <laughs> Let's talk about the song that you chose to record, Sibonet. Um, you have a relationship with this song. Tell us a little bit about the history of the song and your personal history with it. Um, it was a piece of music that was written by the great composer, Cuban composer, Ernesto Locuona. And it was a piece that I, I, I've been playing for, for 20, 30 years. It's a piece that is uh, somewhat classically inspired, but very much inspired by uh, the Cuban rhythms. And it's a piece that I got to perform the very first time I was invited to Cuba to play the Plaza Jazz Festival in 2002. Mm -hmm. Chucho Valdez invited me to play on a concert with him. 
and Gonzalo Rubalcaba, a solo piano concert. Needless to say, I was intimidated by the company, but nonetheless, um, it's a piece that's very close and dear to my heart. Cuba, as a lot of folks know, it's very near and close to my heart. And uh, the struggles of my people, for so many reasons, I'm not going to get political, but uh, we need to stop this horrendous criminal blockade. <laughs> Did I get political? Did I say that? <laughs> Oops. Um, oh, sorry. Um, but I love, I love, I love the fact that I am transcultural. That I am mm -hmm. Irish, German, Cuban, Mexican. That man, I love. My wife is African American, Jewish. My kids don't know who to hate, and so much of of, of Cuba is like that. If you walk down the streets mm -hmm. of Cuba, you will see people look out at you, and their eyes will be. African, Spanish, Asian. And I mean, I think this is inexorably where the planet is heading towards. Uh, those people that want to practice isolationism, they're wrong. And look at history. Look at the history of our city and the beautiful things that happen here. And uh, so Sibonet is very, very wrapped up in this whole journey of mine to be a, 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 a musician of the future, a human being of, of, of compassion and love. Well, right now we're going to debut your solo piano cover of Sibonet for the Public Song Project. Arturo O'Farrell, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, what a pleasure. Are you kidding me? I'm such a fan. Let's take a listen. This is Arturo O'Farrell with Sibonet.
You just heard Arturo Farrell's cover of Sibone by Ernesto Lacuana for the 2024 Public Song Project. And all this week, we will premiere songs for PSP24 from Friends of WNYC. And over the next few months, you'll get the chance to hear yourself alongside them by submitting your own songs to the project. For more information, check out wnyc.org slash public song project. Throughout this week, after you hear those songs, you'll also be hearing from some music history experts to give context for the songs and help share some inspiration in other parts of the public domain to explore. Joining me now is Anna Chilenza. She is a professor of musicology at the Peabody Institute at Johns Hopkins University and author and editor of many books, including The Cambridge Companion to Gershwin. Anna, welcome to all of it. Thank you so much. It's really a pleasure. So we just played that amazing version of Arturo O'Farrell's version of Sibonet. So let's start there. Will you share with us the musical context behind this song and how it fits into the history of 1920s and early 20th century jazz? Yeah, sure. Happy to. First of all, loved that performance. Um, And I will say it sounds so different from what the song would have originally sounded like in 1927. Um, The the title of the tune is actually a reference to the indigenous people of Cuba, um, Les Seboneas. And uh, this is something that's really important about um, Ernesto Lacuona, is that, like Gershwin, he was very interested in incorporating indigenous uh, influences into his own music. Um, And this tune definitely does that. It was originally a sung tune. um, And if anyone's heard a version that Bing Crosby sang in 1945, do not pay attention to those lyrics. The English lyrics (laughs) have nothing to do with the original. The original lyrics are actually, it's a love song and uh, Sibonet is sort of referencing Cuba in general, and in some ways sort of an, a lost ideal Cuba. And so it's a love song. It's someone yearning to connect with Sibonet again and all the beauties of its natural, um, what it was, you know, in nature and its beauty, but before, say, the civilization kicked in in the 20s and 30s. Um, so, you know, in that way, the song, uh, it, it it's especially important for our folks that want to connect with Cuba because it really is about a love of Cuba and missing Cuba. Today's the 100th anniversary of George Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue. We spent the first hour of the show talking about it. So let's synthesize some themes that we've talked about today. How can one draw the line from Ernesto Lacuna to Gershwin? Oh, it's really tight. It's very close. Um, And in fact, it starts in 1916 when Ernesto Lacuona played as a young boy uh, a solo concert at Aeolian Hall, the same place that Rhapsody in Blue was premiered. Um, He also, uh, Gershwin came in touch with him in 1928 when he was in Paris, um, actually 1927, he was in Paris, you know, getting inspiration to write his American in Paris, and he gets invited to a private concert of Ernesto Lacuona. He's the, and Gershwin goes and revels there, and they're all amazed by his performance abilities. Um, and so Gershwin kind of connects with him there. And then uh, in 1931, uh, Lacuona is brought to Hollywood. He did a lot of film music, and he performed um, in, a, in a film in 1931. He performed a song called The Peanut Vendor, which became a very kind of popular song. Um, 
but he was there uh, and he was also performing in Hollywood Bowl. And of all pieces, he played Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue. And Gershwin was in the concert. He went up to him afterwards and went, wow, you play that better than anybody. Uh, and, and they really kind of formed a connection. And so in 1932, when Gershwin goes to Cuba to sort of for two weeks to sort of discover its music, he connects again with Laquona. And then he, Gershwin, writes his Cuban overture, which is very much inspired by a lot of the innovations that uh, Laquona had done. Um, one last little thing, uh, because Laquona had a, a huge back, I mean, he studied classical music. He was a fabulous classical pianist, but he was also a composer of all different genres and was very much engaged in popular music. So for example, Sibonet was a song written for a review, which is, you know, it's kind of like a Broadway show, but it's a, a mix of song and dance and sketches and this sort of thing in the same way that Gershwin's Swanee was written for a review. So these are songs. And what's interesting is both of those songs, although in very different ways, are about someone longing for the past. And they also engage in indigenous musics, mm -hmm. if it's Sibonet or if it's African, you know, an imagined idea of what African-American music was in the South. So it's it's kind of fascinating. There were a lot of parallels. And in fact, Newsweek even called an, um, Lekwona, it, it, there was an article uh, and he called him the Jorge Gershwin Lekwona. Mm -hmm. So he was sort of the George Gershwin of Cuba uh, in a lot of ways. The event where Rhapsody in Blue premiered was called An Experiment in Modern Music, and it opened with a song called Livery Stable Blues. Let's listen to a little bit of that, performed by the Dixieland Jazz Band. Period. Oh, to the blues. Um, well, it owes. Well, to, to answer that question, we need to step back just for a second and talk about there are two big different types of blues. There's delta blues or um, country blues. That's one type, and that's the type that's you know uh, really most connected to folk music and came first. And that was you know a person playing a guitar or a banjo and singing you know, the blues form singing the blues. That gets heard by W.C. Handy uh, and other folks who bring it to New York, and then they create this music, blending it with ragtime and dance music, and they create what we now call um, uh, urban blues or classic blues. And so this livery stable blues, that's an example of that. Um, and so it's early jazz. So for Gershwin, when he heard the word jazz, this is what was in his mind. Uh, this was the first jazz recording um, by, as you said, the original Dixieland Jazz Band. These were a group of uh, men from New Orleans. They were white. They were most, about half of them were Italian immigrants. Um, they did not invent jazz. That is definitely an African-American genre. It had been existing in New Orleans for quite a while, but they were the first to commercialize it. Um, they went to Chicago first, then they came to New York, and they recorded this record, which became a global hit. You know, soldiers mm -hmm. took the 
record with them in World War One when they went to France and various places. So this song really was kind of in the mind of many, the first jazz tune. And so on the, in the experiment in modern music, mm-hmm. um, what Paul Whiteman is trying to do is he is trying to kind of come up with a new American sound. He's trying to blend kind of the popular music of jazz that's considered very American but in the context of the sort of European concert hall. And I'm going to dive in there because we are going to check in with you a little bit later on this week. We're running out of time for today, but we'll talk to you a little bit later on. Is that okay? Oh, okay. That sounds great. (laughs) Anna Chilenza is professor of musicology at the Peabody Institute at Johns Hopkins University. We'll speak with her a little more later this week. If you'd like to know more about the Public Song Project, go to wnyc.org slash public song project. Check back to the website throughout the week as we'll update it with more songs and information. I'm Allison Stewart. I appreciate you listening. I'll meet you back here next time. I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, The New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts.